welcome everyone to another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. Just a few days away from opening day in Major League Baseball. And it's been a little bit of an odd spring training, given the fact that Toronto is going to actually be opening the season down south in Florida. Haven't seen much in terms of spring training highlights because of cross-border restrictions and not being able to get all the usual reporters down there. So highlights have been few and far between. So we've got you guys covered today with our guests. Up first, we've got Keegan Matheson, who is a Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com and BlueJays.com. He also does a whole bunch of TV and radio analysis as well, too. So super knowledgeable. He was actually down in Dunedin taking in all of the uh, spring training action. He just got back a few days ago, currently quarantining back home right now. So he's going a little stir crazy, but he takes some time with us to break down all the latest injuries, how the season's going to shape up, some storylines to watch out for, and more. Then in a double dose of Jay's action, we've got Sean Doyle from Jay's from the couch, and he is going to help us out with some projections for this year, and especially the Kirby Yates injury, how the Blue Jays will approach that in terms of really using some of their relievers as inning eaters and getting creative and maybe taking some uh, Tampa Bay style tactics to try and roll out with the opener style versus uh, having that traditional rotation, given the fact that there's not a ton of depth behind Ryu. So we've got some really good conversations. We play a little over under with him there as well, too, and more. So we've got you covered. Don't fear for lack of highlights. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays upcoming season ahead of opening day is on this episode so sit back and enjoy up first we're sitting down with keegan matheson all right and joining us today for the podcast we've got keegan matheson who is a blue jays reporter for mlb.com first and foremost keegan welcome back to the great north how's quarantine going in your place going slow but good it's uh it's good to be back i'm uh I'm losing the entire advantage of being in spring training, which is a bit of a tan for my pasty self, but it's uh, day 11 of 14 after getting back from spring training. Uh, it was interesting being down there. That interesting experience continues here, but uh, you know, what a spring, one of a kind, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully this is a, a one-time deal and we're not dealing with this still again in 2022, but we're three days away from opening day already and in the Blue Jays case unfortunately the injuries are also happening to pile up as we get closer to opening day as well too. Biggest news being last Wednesday prized offseason acquisition Kirby Yates undergoes Tommy John surgery he's done for the year. How big of a void does this leave in the Blue Jays bullpen moving forward and who do you sort of see filling that role in the interim? It's big news because this bullpen has so many good pieces, but with Yates in that back end, everything else fell into place so nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the same as it was in 2020 when Ken Giles went down. You know, having Giles or having a top-end closer in the back end, A, it matters a lot more when you're a good team. You know, the Blue Jays are going to be playing a lot of close games that matter. It's easy to project them being in September, and we're talking about a one- or two-game race. That's easy to see, so you need a closer to lock things down. Now, thankfully for the Blue Jays, they have depth. Uh, that starts with Jordan Romano, who, if this happened 10 years ago, boom, Jordan Romano's the closer, easy. You'll see a lot of what you saw last year uh, in 2020 with Charlie Montoyo moving guys around and targeting the highest leverage instead of the ninth inning. So I think Jordan Romano is still that guy who will get the highest leverage innings for now. But you're also looking at guys like Chatwood, Dolis, 
know, ha- has closed certainly in the past. Ryan Barucki, even Julian Merriweather, really all of these guys are capable of pitching and leverage. So it's going to be a hot hand situation. Uh, but that just gets tricky because do you ride a hot hand until he gets cold? Do you jump out in front of it? Problems that you don't have to consider if you have a Kirby Yates. So it just puts the Blue Jays in a position where they need to make more decisions, which isn't always great, but at least they have options. Yeah. And do you sort of see this closer by committee approach or possibly Romano sort of getting a, a extended look, at least in the early parts of the season, being the pattern moving forward? Or do you think that knowing that he's already out for the year, it's not just, you know, okay, he's back in a month or so. Do you think the Blue Jays might actually be in the market already for a more experienced traditional closer? I think that could really happen in through June, July, uh, going up to the trade deadline. I think the Blue Jays have everything working in their favor to completely control the trade deadline if they want to. Because the, the really attractive thing about how they've gotten here is that they've really just spent money which is easy. It's not my money. So it's very easy to throw that around, but by just spending money and developing guys, they have a a number seven farm system as we rank it at MLB pipeline and top arms, top infielders, catchers that other teams really like. So by the time the Blue Jays get to this deadline, being able to deal from their prospect pool, but also take on contracts. There are teams around baseball who are still going to be looking to shed payroll looking to make financial moves instead of baseball moves, unfortunately. But the Blue Jays can be the team that benefits from that because they have that ability to take on deals. So closers come into the situation there. Starting pitching definitely does. But I think the Blue Jays can afford to be a little patient off the top. Maybe Romano steps forward and is a 1.2 ERA guy dominating the league. Maybe Phelps comes in and has a hot year. It's the nature of relievers where some guy that we're not even talking about could come in and and have a really dominant year. So you can be a bit patient, but it's got to be on the list. Continuing the trend of hurting arms there, if we go to the starting pitching side, we've got Nate Pearson currently sidelined with a groin strain. Uh, Robbie Ray just got revealed. He's going to miss at least his first start. What, What sort of a timeline do we have on these two pitchers getting back to the rotation? So Robbie Ray is a bit more clear right now. Uh, he fell going down the stairs and bruised his elbow. Now, thankfully with a, a bruise, you know, you're not talking about anything strained, any ligaments, soft tissue, anything like that. So right now the Blue Jays are saying he'll miss his first start, which if it stays to that is okay. Once you get into missing a couple of starts, well, then you're talking about, is he still built all the way up? Does he need to pitch at the alternate site? We'll see. Nate Pearson, as of now, and this is March 29, he has not thrown bullpens yet. Um, he has been throwing long toss, but at this point, Pearson has been out for a couple of weeks. I think it was March 14, he re-aggravated that groin strain. So at this point, he needs to build back up again. That's the tricky part of being hurt in spring training. If it's the middle of the season, sure, go down to AAA, make a start, get stretched out. But at this point in the year, Pearson was still getting back to 100%. And it's been tough for him it's been a while since he's just been able to go out and start every five days and you'd love to see that he is so incredibly talented but baseball teaches us again and again that you know throwing 100 and having that elite slider is only half or a third of the battle really so he needs to get on the mound 
And rounding out our injury report, we are going to move on to other baseball-related things, but, I mean, it's top of mind. So we have to address, obviously, the big, big free agent acquisition. George Springer currently sidelined with an oblique injury. What sort of timelines have we gotten from that, and when can fans actually see him making his regular season debut for the Blue Jays? Yeah, Springer wants to be there for opening day. Uh, I'm sure the Blue Jays would love that if it's possible. But you're talk- talking about a, a grade two strain. That's, um, you know, that's a real issue. And obliques are very tricky, especially for a swinger with a big swing like that. I, I think that Springer, in, in this situation, the Blue Jays might be trying to be as cautious as possible because you've just given a man 150 million bucks, U.S. dollars. So if you're going to miss five or six games off the top, backdating the IL date until today, that's okay. You know, he can still get into 150 ball games this year and you're happy with 150. But uh, an oblique is always tricky. Baseball is such a, a burst movement sport. You know, there are times where Springer will be on the field not moving all that much for an hour, and then suddenly you're asked to swing at a major league fastball. That really tests the body, especially an oblique. So that'll be tough to see. But uh, you know, the, the challenging part the Blue Jays say is that Springer is so strong and his pain tolerance is so high that it's, uh, it may not be showing the same symptoms as a normal grade two strain. If I had a grade two strain, I'd be on that couch over there <laughs> complaining, right? But George Springer is built like a linebacker and a very good baseball player. So it'll be interesting to see how this is handled. And obviously another wrinkle this year that you just experienced yourself as well, too, being down in Florida, is the fact that obviously games aren't going to be taking place north of the border quite yet. They're taking things sort of month by month, but in a similar fashion to the Raptors having to play out of Tampa, what, what sort of effect do you think losing that home field advantage will have for the Blue Jays? Because for the Raps, that home court advantage being lost was huge, and we see it in their record this year. How do you think that will affect the ball club? This is really interesting, and it's always a case of framing. You know, and as, as a writer, I love some good framing, but the, the Raptors have been an interesting case. Of course, when the season started to go wrong, well, suddenly Tampa was a disadvantage. Well, it's, uh, I understand the Raptors have an incredible one here with Raptors fans, but how much does that swing a game? It's hard to quantify in baseball. Now, playing out of Dunedin Stadium, their TD ballpark story, the Blue Jays, you know, is that an advantage for some of them, understanding how it works there? It, it has its quirks. It's a hitter's ballpark most days. If you are an outfielder, some days can be great. Some days can be a nightmare because just the basic structural idea of this stadium is that you have a lower ring behind the back and then it's wide open. This isn't Yankee Stadium where the wind is getting blocked coming in from side to side. This is a minor league park and and we have seen a few absolute events at outfield. So is that going to be enough to swing a game? I don't know. But there are ways that you can look at it from both sides. You know, there are ways the Blue Jays can lean into this and make it an advantage of their own. Because uh, kind of like Buffalo last year, if you are the New York Yankees and you are used to being at Yankee Stadium and having the finest of the finest everything from the chair you sit on in your locker to the snacks in the cafeteria, once you show up to Buffalo or Dunedin and you're suddenly in a spring training clubhouse again, It's not the most comfortable. So I think there are ways you can look at this from both sides, but it's really about the Blue Jays embracing it, which is easier this year after Buffalo last year. The the players to a man seem to be under the impression of, okay, at least we know this year. Last year was a mess bouncing all over. This year they know and they accept it, I think embrace it a little more. 
Well, you had tweeted out the other day as well, too, that uh, I think it was left field is a bit of an adventure, depending on the uh, time of day, just with the angle that the sun's coming in at. So is that something that you see sort of playing a factor this year with those afternoon games that uh, might get a little bit squirrely in the outfield? I think that was around six, seven o'clock when that sun was coming over the concourse into left field. And I'm uh, I'm not sure how that will go as the, you know, the sunlight changes through the season, but there are times where that ballpark will just play a bit strange, you know, and there are, there are outfielders from other teams. Let's say again, if you are a Yankees outfielder, well, every time you go to Boston, you play around with the green monster, you play around with the right field corner. That is strange, but coming to Dunedin stadium, that's a bit different. So the blue Jays, at least understanding some of those quirks is a start. I don't think fly ball pitchers are going to have a lot of fun there, especially on days where it's blowing. Um, you know, someone like Tanner Roark, for example, who's given up some home runs in the past, that's, uh, that's getting a bit dicey. You really want to keep the ball on the ground. That's why uh, you know, a pitcher like TJ Zoic, for example, the, the depth starter, having a ground ball guy is really valuable there because every spring we see pop flies just carry out. We see balls leave the stadium entirely. <laughs> it's, a, it's a home run hitters park for sure. Yeah. And we mentioned off the top there, obviously, they're taking it month by month. The goal is to get back to Toronto at some point, and whether that's in front of no fans or limited capacity fans remains to be seen. But if you were a betting man, do you think we actually get meaningful ball games in the six? Or do you think that given the sort of slower than usual rollout of the vaccinations north of the border, that we might just be punting this to 2022 for a full reset? I want to be an optimist. Uh, I I want to point to something like the All-Star break as a very, very loose idea of where to target. Um, But it all depends on the border and the government and the vaccine rollout. And it's it's so different. I think we're really starting to appreciate how different it is place to place. Uh, I have friends in the United States who are my age in their early 30s uh, getting vaccinated. And I'm saying, well, I have no idea when that's happening here in Ontario. So not to get too specific on that, but just the, 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 the difference in how that's happening and where is going to matter a lot. You know, even after the Blue Jays and their staff are vaccinated, it still matters for public health here. And the border is really the big issue. So when I, uh, you know, I, I like to be optimistic about it, but then I wake up each morning and see tweets with daily case totals. And I think, ooh, we'll see, we'll see. So it's, uh, if I were a betting man, it wouldn't be a bet I'm making because it's so risky and so up in the air and it's yes it relies on the blue jays a bit they've done their parts you know avoiding positive cases and doing the work they've done down there but so much of this is still up to the federal government and when we get into those topics it's so far outside of what we're used to talking about in sports you know how that works with public health that it just becomes a completely different discussion and so hard to nail down and, and we won't go down that rabbit hole there. We're, we're going to stay as a sports podcast for today, at least. So we'll redirect it to this question here. Uh, on a better note, outside of those, obviously, free agents that we had already talked about, lots of new faces to the Blue Jays this year. But in terms of prospects or people maybe making their MLB debut, who, who are some names that have broken camp with the Blue Jays and maybe you're still even on the bubble that haven't been announced yet that you can see donning a Jays uniform this year? The, the bigger news yesterday was Alejandro Kirk, the catcher, being named to the active roster, the number five prospect. And this was a, a quote-unquote competition with him and Reese McGuire. It wasn't really. You know, Alejandro Kirk, having him on the roster makes this a better roster, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, he can continue to develop at the major league level. Uh, I know that's a, 
that's a divide among some development people, but Kirk, even at 22, he can figure out the next steps in the major leagues, backing up Danny Jansen. And he is a major league bat. Whether you're starting him at catcher or if you're putting him in at DH for a little bit, uh, this guy can hold his own in the major leagues. I, I think he's going to be a big piece of this. When you look to the pitching depth, uh, in, in the bullpen, it was fairly set. A couple of surprises with Tim Meza. Good on him coming back from Tommy John a year and a half ago and already cracking this roster. I did not think that was going to happen early in camp at all. Uh, I think even if Meza threw strikes and was healthy, I would have called that a, a good productive camp. But he exceeded all expectations. Uh, when you're looking to the rotation, a couple of guys that won't crack the roster now, maybe late 2021, but Starting with Alec Manoa, the number seven prospect, I believe we have him as, he was the star of camp, period. Uh, going up against the Yankees and in, in one of his outings, striking out seven in a row, three perfect innings. Uh, this guy has only thrown, I think, 17 pro innings back in 2019 after he was drafted and came into camp and just dominated. It's, it's good to have a high 90s fastball and a slider, but everybody does. Uh, so I was expecting Manoa to come into camp and flash it a little bit, but be wild, hit a guy, give up a home run, you know, like prospects do. He dominated, and he does it with style. He has a, uh, a confidence that you need to back up, and he backs it up. So he's going to be fascinating to watch this year. And then the other would be Simeon was Richardson. Uh, this guy is 20 years old, but very mature. Uh, has a very mature pitching arsenal with four pitches. Works so fast, which I love <laughs> because he is, uh, you know, he's five, 10 seconds between each pitch over and over, really controls the game. So these are two young guys coming up as starting depth that would just be such a huge advantage for the Blue Jays if they worked it. And it's always an if with baseball prospects, but getting some pitching depth internally would be really great at this point for the Blue Jays. Not, not just a five or six or seven guy but someone who can come up and be a number two or a number three, because not only does that give you a good pitcher, it probably saves you 15 million bucks in free agency. So that's always good. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously people love rankings, people love lists. And that's a huge part of what you guys do over at MLB.com is you put together your prospects lists and all of that there. So if we're looking at the blue Jays, who are maybe one or two prospects that you are most excited about? doesn't have to be someone debuting this year, but just long-term potential-wise that you are really excited to see at the major league level. Now, the, their catching depth is very impressive here. I think when you go down at number eight, Gabriel Moreno, the young catcher, I expect him to start in double-A. Uh, the Blue Jays are really high on Moreno behind the plate. He was a, a shortstop when the Blue Jays signed him, actually, but they took a look at him, put him behind the plate, and – He's their, their number eight guy right now. I think he has the potential to move very quickly. I think their catching depth is really impressive. Uh, around the league, other people take notice. At number six is a young shortstop here, Arelvis Martinez. Back a couple of years ago, he was signed out of the Dominican Republic. His bonus was in that 3.4, 3.5 million range. A really advanced hitter. And he's a good example of someone who was hurt by the lost season in 2020. Because he is someone who very soon should be jumping into that top 100 picture, yeah. uh, really generating a lot of hype. That's just hard to do when you're scrimmaging against guys. Nobody's going to get all that excited when you're you know, putting up numbers against your own pitching staff. And then, down, let me make sure we have the number right on this next guy here. Where's Yasfer Zulueta on my list? Number 23, Cuban right-hander. And this guy 
was signed by the Blue Jays, underwent Tommy John right away. So he was forgotten about over a year and a half as that happens. But Zulueta coming out of Cuba has a huge fastball. He was up to 98, 99. Hasn't touched 100 yet, but I think he will. And this is one of those classic prospect arms that you dream on. What's the percentage chance it works out? Maybe not the highest, but the ceiling there is just out of this world for Zulueta. So he should be on your short list of guys to watch this season as he gets into minor league games because the fastball is huge. I know we all love triple digit fastball readings when we talk about prospects. So he'll be an interesting one to watch, but uh, a lot of talent in this system still. Yeah. And obviously it being such a weird year, not only this season, but last season as well too, at the minor league levels, like the, the minor leagues have essentially been decimated and lots of change coming on that front with the prospects essentially playing simulated games, exhibition games, all of that. Is there anything that Blue Jays are outside any teams have been doing that's sort of different or unique to try and get these guys some more game reps or anything like that? Or is everyone sort of in the same boat as far as simulated games, keep them at the Cactus League sites or whatever? It's fairly similar, you know, given the protocols, it's, you know, if it weren't for those protocols, maybe you grab a nearby NCAA team and play them for a game or something like that. Maybe there would be more opportunities, but given the protocols and staying in those bubbles, it's been a lot of competing against one another. So when you speak to the guys about that experience, and this goes for that alternate training site as well, what they like about it, and you know, I'm sure there's lots that they don't like about it. They'd rather be in the major leagues and not facing their own guys every day. But one thing they like about it a lot is that you can focus on one specific thing. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you are an outfield prospect in double A and you are having trouble hitting curveballs. Well, over a week, how many curveballs are you getting that are good where you can really practice? You know, how many times are you getting into that count? How many times are you seeing it right out of the hand? It takes so long. Or if you're trying to, see, if you're trying to work on your base stealing, how many times are you getting done? How many times is the second base open in front of you? Are there two outs? Are you getting the go, like the go sign? Whereas at the alternate training site, who cares? Go out and try to steal 50 bases in an hour or go out and have pitchers throw you curveballs for an hour straight because there's not a worry of failure. There's not a worry of numbers being kept. And if you're trying to steal bases, for example, if you screw up, you're not robbing the guy at the plate of an at-bat. It's low stakes where you can recreate game scenarios instead of waiting for them over weeks and weeks on the road, riding minor league buses and eating Taco Bell. You know, (laughs) it's a much more controlled I think, um, proactive development environment. So that's what teams envision happening at complexes going forward, where you can just really hone in on something. Because you hear GMs and farm directors say that a lot, where they'll say, like, I wish I could just take this prospect and pull him out of games for a week and only show him high fastballs or only make them throw sliders. Because once you start struggling in the minor leagues, man, it's hard to, hard to adjust while you're losing, while you're struggling. Another big off-season story, obviously, was made of Vladdy Jr.'s weight loss and whatever crash diet he went on. He clearly uh, had some good results. But now that you've actually seen him at the plate in a handful of games, a lot of people were concerned, okay, when you lose that much weight, is it going to sap his power? Is he going to be a different hitter? What have you sort of seen in the handful of games that you've observed? 
it's been encouraging uh, because, you know, all through the off season, yes, it was, it was great to see Guerrero working out and it was great to see those 10,000 Instagram videos. That, that's a good step. But what matters is how it translates to the field. You know, if, if a player is in different shape, that's, that, that's, that's good for them as a person, but if it's not translating and resulting in better statistics, you know, that's, that's what this is about in baseball. So to see it actually work is very encouraging because all throughout this, a, a point I kept making is that, listen, he has grown up big and strong. If you're changing that body all of a sudden, it probably helps, but it might not. It might throw off a swing. It, it might take some power away from him with a body that he's not used to. So thankfully it has worked out and he's worked on his strength as well. Full credit to Vlad. It's, it's been a great change for him. I think 42 pounds dating back to last summer camp. The most encouraging thing, yes, he's hitting the ball hard, but whatever. He's always going to smoke the baseball. He's hitting it in the air, finally. Because the last couple of seasons, he beat the ball into the ground. He is never going to beat out ground ball singles. That's not going to be his game, and that's fine. But he's finally lifting that ball. And even in the minor leagues, one of Vlad's issues, and this is really nitpicky, but... Vlad hit a lot of low liners that even if he just got under them a bit more, they're way gone. He hit so many doubles at the wall, denting the wall. But if he starts lifting the ball just a bit more, his natural exit velocity is going to create a huge number of home runs. All he needs to do, period, is lift the ball, hit the ball in the air, and his numbers are going to take off. So that's been encouraging so far. And we'll see how that stretches through the season because – the, the big thing for him, and, and you know, credit to him again on this, he admitted, I got tired you know, over a full season. And you know, a full 162 games, I mean, even covering it by the end of the summer, I'm just worn out. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not even playing the game, right? It, it is a grind every single day to be playing Major League Baseball. There's not that many off days or off weeks in between. So we'll see how that holds up, but so far, so good. Would you say it's fair then to say it'll have more of an effect defensively than at the plate for him there? Like, have you noticed he's a little bit more spry in the field? It could, yeah. He has very quick feet. Uh, I think that when we, we see a bigger guy like Vlad, we say, okay, that's a, a slow plotter in the field. No, like Vlad has really quick feet, quick hands, quick twitchy movements. Um, those good hands help him at first base. Now, he wanted to play some more third. I, I don't see that happening all that often. Because back in 2019, when Vlad had such bad defensive metrics, and they were capital B bad, most of that came from balls he was coming in on. So number one, he's, he's having to bend down over with a larger frame, but also that's when flexibility comes in. You know, Bending over with your hamstrings, Vladdy would get bent over and completely lose his equilibrium. He would be off balance, falling side to side. That's when you lose your fundamentals. So I think flexibility is a really huge part of this. It's not as fun to talk about, but Vlad's flexibility, um, you know, and he had an oblique thing in the past too, you know, keeping soft tissue muscle health for a swing as big as his. That's what made Jose Bautista so special. If any other hitter in baseball tries to do Jose Bautista's swing, their oblique would jump out of their body. But Bautista stretches 23 hours a day. Right. So you see where flexibility can really come into it, the torque of that swing. I think that's going to be an, an underrated part of this, but huge for Vladdy. Now, 
trash can banging notwithstanding. You follow the similar path to the Houston Astros in the early 2010s and how they developed into eventually a World Series champion. Do you see the Jays following a similar model right now or see any similarities between the two because they are both built through the draft as homegrown, talented, the odd free agent signing here, but mostly from within? Yeah, there are a lot of similarities there. And I, I think that's, um, you know, Number one, just on the surface between Houston and Toronto, there's some similarities. But I think this is just how well-built teams come together. You know, you, you've seen it over and over. And let's even go back to the 2015 and 2016 Jays. Those were great teams. Those were fun teams. And to do it the way they did it, sure. You do that 10 days out of 10. To give yourself a legitimate chance at the World Series, you do that every day. But the, there's a reason that it fell off so quickly after that is because you traded and traded and traded. You were really aiming for 2015 and 2016. But the way that Houston did it with more development, and I spoke with Mark Shapiro about this recently, he pointed back to those late 90s Cleveland teams who won five straight divisions, I think six out of seven, but went to the World Series a couple times. That was a lot of young talent being developed and then bringing in stars. For Cleveland back then, it was actually Roberto Alomar coming out in 1999, I think. But a lot of that star talent being added at the right time. And then the similarity extends to the Blue Jays having that last step probably be needing starting pitching, you know, needing that last piece. And I understand the excitement has gotten everyone to a point where it's boom, George Springer's in town. This is the year, World Series, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe, we'll see. But this was a 67-win team a couple years ago, right? You you don't immediately go to everything being perfect. And the last part that you need to fill in is that rotation. And that usually is that last part for these teams coming up on a championship run. You know, you, you know Houston added some major arms over those years there. Uh, you know, thankfully, the Blue Jays have the ability to do that, and they haven't completely emptied the cupboard. But, uh, you know, there's still some left. Do you see them making that tipping point, emptying the cupboard, like this is our window to compete? Is it this year? Is it two years from now? What, what sort of time frame do you put on that? I think this trade deadline is a massive opportunity, huge, because there are still going to be a lot of teams who are really feeling the effects of no fans in the stands of, of the last two years in baseball. The Blue Jays have a lot of flexibility going into next year because you only have you, Springer, and Gritchick really on big deals. And none of them can be designated as quote-unquote bad deals really at this point. You're, you're not carrying an anchor contract. So going into next year, what are you losing? You're losing Semyon at 18 million, Roark at 12, Ray at eight, Yates, Mats are both up above 5 million. There's so much payroll to play with here for the Blues. And if you can find a on the open market with two or three years left on a deal, uh, think back to the U Darvish deal the Padres made. That's a good example in terms of contract structure. A guy who is still good and is you know being paid pretty fair money, but his team just doesn't love the idea of paying that. Yeah. That's where the Blue Jays can swoop in and add just by using financial muscle. You don't even need to blow out your farm system at that point because something needs to stick around in the farm system. There's got to be something. So I think this trade deadline is a huge opportunity Next offseason, the Blue Jays should be able to drive the market once again. There's a lot of pitching talent, but also a lot of infield talent there. A lot of shortstop talent with the Seegers, Correas of the world. That'll be really interesting. But there are opportunities. What makes it attractive now 
is that there's not just one. You know, back in those 2015 and 16 teams, it was boom, a peak, and then it fell down. The Blue Jays, you know, this word sustainable that is thrown around. Sustainable winning is as close to impossible as you can get in sports. Very few teams achieve that, but they've at least set themselves up for a run at it with what they've done. Amazing. Well, Keegan, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. But before we let you go, we have to get at least a prediction here. Where do you see the Jays finishing in the AL East and do they squeak into the playoffs or not? I see them getting a wild card spot. I, I think the, the Yankees, as they go through the season, get a bit healthier with their pitching. And I mean, the Yankees are always going to add. So I, I think when the Blue Jays are looking up, the Rays will be a competitor as well there. But I think a wild card spot is realistic. It might be a situation where they're their pitching depth holds them back a bit through the year. Maybe there's a bit of a late run. Again, that deadline. But what's the, the over-under most folks are setting out for wins? In, in around that 86, 87 range, I think that's pretty fair. You know, if they were to get into that 85 or 86, make a run at the, the wild card. I, I think this is the year where they're no longer happy to be there. You know, they've got to make some noise and maybe win a series. But then uh, 2022, I think, is when you get very serious uh, about a late run into the playoffs. For those that are listening, where can people find you or check out your articles or anything like that? Yeah, everything you'll find. It's at uh, MLB.com and BlueJays.com. Then on Twitter, at Keegan Matheson, K-E-E-G-A-N Matheson. Beautiful. All right. Well, again, thank you for taking the time and uh, good luck in the lead up to uh, opening day. Is that when your quarantine ends as well, too? Is that a, an ironic... Uh... It is the day I've been waiting for for two weeks. So April 1, it's uh, the last day of my quarantine. So I will cover the Blue Jays game. And at 12.01 a.m., I will sprint up and down the uh, the hallway in my building here. (laughs) There you go. You're a free man. Awesome. All right. Well, best of luck and uh, enjoy the season. All right. Thank you. All right, before we get to Sean's interview, wanted to take a quick moment to talk to you guys about a cause that's near and dear to our hearts here at Dine Sports and something we've been doing for several years now. The sixth annual Dine Sports Charity Golf Tournament is going to be taking place on Saturday, June 12th at the Canadian Golf and Country Club, which is located just in the west end of Ottawa. And uh, we're going to be supporting three amazing charities this year. It's going to be Awesome Ottawa, which works with athletes that are on the autism spectrum and gives them access to sports and recreational program. The Boys and Girls Club of Ottawa, which breaks down barriers and serves thousands of kids aged 6 to 18 across the Ottawa area every single year. And then the OSEG Foundation, so that's the Ottawa Sports and Entertainment Group Foundation, so that is the charitable arm of pretty much all the teams at TD place there. So your Ottawa 67s, the Red Blacks, Ottawa Atletico and more. So great day, fun in the sun. You get to chase a little white ball around, have some pints, all for a very, very good cause. And as we know, we've been saying to support local so much over the course of this pandemic, local businesses have obviously been extremely affected by everything. But overlooked is also the fact that amazing charities that so many families in the region rely on have also been affected and with business funding getting dried up a large portion of their budgets are charitable donations and all of that as well too so a lot of their 
operational revenue is out the window and they haven't been able to support as many families as they have in the past as well. So it's more important than ever to support our local charities as well too. So if you want more information about it, uh, if you're in the area and want to take part, you can register a foursome. We're going to abide by all public health restrictions and whatever happens to be in place by that time in June. But uh, instead of your traditional shotgun start, which we normally do, we're going to do staggered starts. So it's more more so in line with a normal day of golf, but there's going to be food on the course instead of a after dinner buffet and no congregating of areas and all of that. So we're going to be making sure that we're staying safe, but also supporting some amazing charities, raising some funds for some organizations that truly need it. So we need golfers, we need whole sponsors, we need prize donations, everything else in between. If you can't even make it, but you just want to support the cause, there's also options on the website to donate as well too. Head over to dinesports.com, D-Y-N-E-S, sports with an S at the end of it.com. And then under our tournament section, you can check that out find out how you can get involved and more. We'd really appreciate the support. And more importantly than that, all three of the charities would really appreciate the support as well too. Without further ado, let's continue our Jay's episode here and sit down with Sean Doyle. All right. And joining us on the podcast today, we've got Sean Doyle from Jay's from the couch. Sean, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Is this the most excited you've been going into a Blue Jays season in recent history? I would have to say so. I mean, you know, if you look back, <laughs> I'm trying to remember uh, a period right before a season started that was this exciting. Um, you know, the, even the 2015 season didn't start out all that great. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't until the trade deadline that things got really exciting. So, uh, yeah, it's the first time in a while that I think uh, I can honestly say I'm, I'm very excited for uh, the upcoming season. Yeah. And do you think it adds a little bit of a extra layer of mystery or intrigue, given the fact that a lot of their spring training games weren't broadcast up here in Canada at all? So we haven't really seen a ton of Blue Jays action so far. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't I. I don't pretend to know why the decision was made to to air or not air spring training games. It seems every year we have the same conversation when it comes to Blue Jays and, and spring training baseball. I guess poker or darts brings in more viewers. Um, I don't know, but um, but you know what? I, I I think that there's that element to it. But I also think that you know, 2020 was such a short season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 60 games in, and we got a taste of the postseason, but it didn't really feel like a, a full legitimate baseball season um, to a lot of people. So it's good to be able to look here in, in spring and look forward to uh, a full season of baseball. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons. Obviously, the Blue Jays offseason, too, uh, kind of helps get you get you the intrigue going. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it, there's a lot of reasons to be excited for uh, for baseball to start up. And you, you already mentioned that 2015 years and looking at this team versus those Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion teams, what sort of differences stand out to you as far as what separates them and what similarities do you see between these two squads? Yeah, that's an interesting question because back in 2015, the pitching staff wasn't, uh, you know, touted as being what would carry the team. Uh, they surprised a lot of people, first of all, by being healthy. Um, and then second of all, kind of, I don't want to say overperforming, but they were they were more um, productive than people thought they would be. 
maybe you'd like to see that from this year's team. They're going to need their pitching uh, is going to need to kind of match the production that the offense gives them this year. Um, so that'll be interesting to watch for. And, and I guess I think the way they're it's a little bit different. Um, that 2015 team had a lot of, I don't want to say older players, but more veteran, more experience for sure uh, than this um, 2021 version of the Blue Jays. But uh, I think what, what separates it is that, that that makes it kind of more exciting for me, uh, knowing that they're at the beginning of what could be, um, you know, a few years of exciting competitive baseball. And I think that to me makes it just that much better. Um, and I'm looking forward to it for that reason, not just the 21, excuse me, the 2021 season, but even 2022, 23, 24, even, you know, um, and that to me is that much more exciting because it's all homegrown. You know, you watch these guys, you've been hearing about them for years in the minor leagues, and now here they are learning how to be major league players, um, at a time where the team is just looking that much better. Um, so I would argue that, especially at the beginning of the season, that this season is probably more exciting. You know, you just touched on it there, but also just in your guys' social media accounts and the articles that you guys have been releasing lately as well, too. You, you haven't really hidden the fact that you guys aren't fully sold on this starting rotation so far. And you've sort of identified those middle inning relievers as being really, really key to this year's success. And, you know, as spring training wraps up, how do you feel about the state of the bullpen, especially given the fact that Yates just went down for the year with Tommy John? Yeah, I mean, it, it, initially, when I heard about Kirby Yates, I got a little uh, nervous and I, you know, I quickly did up a thing that Jay's from the couch about, um, you know, who would have to step up and what that could look like. Um, but then, you know, the days after the, the Yates injury was announced, you start hearing things that he wasn't right in the offseason anyway. Atlanta turned him down. Alex Anthopoulos said no thanks. Um, so, you know, the Blue Jays knew they were taking a risk. Uh, and so I guess for that reason, I, I kind of have calmed down <laughs> after, you know, the news of that they're losing their closer. Um, and I think the other thing that helps with that is that uh, Jordan Romano, uh, Canadian boy, is looking like he'll step into that role um, rather seamlessly. And uh, that's exciting for a number of reasons, obviously. Um, but I think the bullpen, um, it, when you look at it, is constructed in a way that they're going to take on some innings, uh, you know, and, and I think that that's by design. I think the, uh, the front office, Ross Atkins and, and company have put a lot of effort into uh, bulking up, if you will, their bullpen with guys like Tyler Chatwood and, and, and uh, Julian Merriweather, even um, guys who can go multiple innings because we saw last year they were a good group, uh, but they got tired fast and it was only a 60 game season and they got exhausted. Um, so, you know, multiply that by however many, I'm not a math guy, but 162 games is um, it's a lot of work for the bullpen. So I think they put a lot of effort into kind of constructing it that way. Um, and then of course, you've got some guys who can, who can, uh, throw upper nineties, you know, even a guy like Ryan Barucki, uh, who, you know, started in the rotation now seems to have found his home in the bullpen. He can, you know, uh, hit 95 and then mix in his, his, um, incredible changeup. Um, it's an interesting mix and I think it'll be an underrated group, um, 
especially to start the season and by hopefully by mid season, they're just not overworked. And, uh, and then of course, if they are, then it's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a long season for them. Every major league club across the entire league is always searching for arms. You can never have too many arms, but if we're talking about just the starting rotation, at least blue Jays definitely need to add something, but do you see that coming from within the organization from either a prospect or promoting someone up, or do you think it's going to have to get addressed via trade? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question because all off season, we kept waiting to see who, what kind of starter they would add uh, to uh, their rotation to go next, go after Hyunjin Ryu. Um, and it turns out their biggest addition was Robbie Ray, who, you know, has looked great this spring, um, you know, fell down some steps, uh, bruised his elbow, but he should be okay. Um, he's looked good. Uh, so he's got the strikeout uh, potential there. But then after that, you're looking at guys um, who have some major league experience, uh, but it's not certainly it's not front of the rotation stuff. And if they're going to make the postseason and succeed in the postseason, they're going to need that um, that number two starter uh, to run out there. And, and, you know, then you look at guys like Nate Pearson, who um, is just soft tossing right now. He's dealing with a groin injury. Uh, don't know how long he'll be out. Um, so that's that's a not a worry, but it's certainly one powerful weapon in the rotation that they don't have to rely on now. Um, and then when you look at the Blue Jays prospect list, as far as pitchers go, the real talent is um, further down in the system. I'm thinking of guys like Alec Manoa and Simeon Woods Richardson. Um, those guys really are probably late season additions if if we see them this year. Uh, and then maybe certainly next season, um, you, you probably will hear more about them joining the big league club. Uh, so it may be rushing them. Now, that being said, they both looked really good this spring, um, impressed a lot of people, especially Alec Manoa. So you never know, maybe if things get desperate, uh, he may see some time. But I think if, if you know, if you pay attention to the way they, this offseason or this front office works, I, I don't think they're in the habit of rushing guys just for the sake of it. Um, somebody may point to somebody like Alejandro Kirk and say, well, you know, he, he hasn't had much minor league experience and they brought him up last season. Um, but those kind of guys are rare, few and far between. Uh, and you certainly don't want to start rushing a pitcher um, before he's ready. Oh, Robbie Ray. Why is it that baseball seems to have just the most freak injuries of all the professional sports? It's always slipping and falling in a shower or down a flight of stairs or kitchen knife injuries and all that. Yeah, the Blue Jays have this weird uh, voodoo when it comes to weird injuries, you know, and, you, you know, Brett Cecil in the blender. Um, <laughs> I think Russell Martin getting out of a hot tub or, or yeah. something like that. Um, and then Miseris Turis tripped down the dugout steps and blew his knee forever. Like just stuff like that, that you just don't see coming. Uh, Kevin Pillar pulled an oblique from sneezing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Another big one. laughs> so you just, yeah, it's, it's definitely weird. Oh God, love it. So switching focus from Blue Jays to the entire AL East here for a minute. Do you see the Yankees as the unanimous biggest threat to the Jays? Or do you think that the retooled Rays, even though they lost some pitching, they made the World Series, right? So they can't be that bad. Do you see them being frisky or is this going to be a two-pony race for most of the season? Now, see, it's funny um, because I've been on you know multiple of the podcasts and I, I'm personally not as sold on the Yankees as a lot of people are. 
Um, we're looking at 2021 and the season, it, it'll be interesting, but in this day and age, people are still in love with names and that's what the Yankees have. They've always had that name factor, you know, uh, Stanton and judge and so on and so on and so on. Um, you know, they signed Corey Kluber, who's a, you know, a name former Cy Young winner, but he's not looked very good, mm-hmm. uh, so far this spring. And so I'm not a believer necessarily in the Yankees. I don't think they've uh, solidified their pitching rotation and their injuries always are always are an issue um you know gary sanchez the catcher you know lots of power but he may end up losing his job as a starting catcher because he he just can't put any kind of consistency together um whereas the rays seem to find consistency underneath the couch cushions you know they just somehow a, a bunch of guys nobody's ever heard of uh, they can run out there and they all play multiple positions and um, and they just have this this idea within the organization of how to identify talent and then bring it over and how to get the most out of it. And I don't worry about the Rays uh, losing pitching uh, because they have it in spades. Uh, they're, they're able to bring in guys who can throw uh, nearly 100 miles an hour, uh, eat up multiple innings, and they can do this on a, you know, kind of like a rotating, it's like a, a turnstile, right? Like they just keep them coming. So I'm more concerned about the Rays, particularly for Toronto, who always has trouble playing in Tropicana Field. Um, so I'm not sold on the Yankees. Uh, I think the Rays continue to be underrated, even though they're in the playoffs every year. Um, so that being said, I, I do think it's a three-team race between those three clubs. But I really believe if the Blue Jays are serious about winning the division, their biggest competition is the Rays. You know, you bring up some interesting points as far as AL East pitching, because in a lot of ways, the Blue Jays are very similar to the Yankees in that respect, where you've got Cole and then a whole bunch of question marks, and then you've got Ryu and a whole bunch of question marks. Don't even get me started on whatever Baltimore is about to trot out there this year as far as starting pitching. As a Red Sox fan, I, I, I know the dumpster fire that's about to begin this year for our rotation, so I'm not going to bring them up. So does that mean even though they lost Blake Snell and Morton and some of these other key pieces that the Rays still have the best starting rotation in the AL East, in your opinion? I, I honestly believe that if it's not the best, it, it, it may be proved to be um by the end of the season and i believe that because they have uh like i said that rotating cast of of arms that nobody's ever heard of but they also have this ability to uh use the talent that they do have in a way that other teams don't okay. uh you know and, and a lot of teams across baseball have kind of copied the the opener strategy um from the rays uh you know and and things like that 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 I think they just get creative with and a lot of other teams are just now playing catch up with in that sense. So I think that combination makes the Rays um, just scary uh, if you're the rest of the AL East, Um, you know, whether or not when it gets to the trade deadline, they have the resources to add who knows. But as of right now, I would say the Rays rotation, whether it's based on the names in the rotation or or not, I believe they, they have a very strong group there. 
as I just mentioned, Red Sox fan over here. And, you know, I, I can't believe that this is a team that is two seasons removed from winning a World Series title. That still blows my mind. But I'm always curious to get sort of an outsider's take who doesn't have the rose-colored glasses or has been brainwashed by the cult of Red Sox Nation. Do you see them being any better on paper this year than they were last year when they finished absolutely dead last in the division? Like, it's not like they went out there and brought in all these big-name free agents that you would normally see. They're almost acting like a small market team and like Kike Hernandez is the the biggest free agent acquisition that they brought in so do you see any kind of a a bounce back year from them or are they probably in line for a similar season as they had last year in the shortened year yeah I've been wrong in the past uh but I I I think I'm with you I don't I don't see how the Red Sox can be any better than they were last year you know maybe getting some some guys back from injury might help them um but i really do see them as a fourth place team uh you know baltimore really uh serving to be like a triple a team um you know playing in the big leagues so you know good for those guys uh <laughs> but as far as the red sox go i i, I think they're a solid fourth place team um simply even if you t- don't even take them in isolation but just simply because the other three teams uh in toronto new york and, and tampa bay are just that much better mm-hmm. than they are uh, i think the red sox will hit that's no question uh but they just don't have a pitching staff that uh, makes me worried at all no, you're preaching to the choir. I was hoping that I was just being a pessimist and that they would actually have a bounce back here. But I think everyone's in the same boat as me, apparently. So That that makes you a realist. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. The last team we haven't really talked about in the AL East was the aforementioned pseudo-triple-A team, quadruple-A Orioles, if you want to call them. Are, are they just destined to be the worst team in the American League this year? Or do you think that there's an off chance that maybe a Detroit or someone sneaks behind them for the worst record? No, I think Detroit is uh, actually making some strides. Uh, their offense is is much better than than Baltimore's for sure. Uh, yeah, no, I think um, Baltimore. The only team I can see even giving them a runny a run for their their last place money, maybe at Kansas City, uh, but even then, Seattle maybe. But I, I just don't see anybody uh, ending up in the at the end of September worse than the Baltimore Orioles. So. All of this, now that we've gone through the division, obviously begs the question, in its current form, without adding anyone else, and hopefully knock on wood, without losing any more pieces, are the Toronto Blue Jays a playoff team this year? Oh, boy. Uh, In a vacuum, yes. Uh, (laughs) However... Um, when you're competing, like, I really think that the American League East continues to be the toughest division, um, certainly in, in the American League, uh, now that the NL West has, you know, blown up as well. But I, I so I think Tampa Bay, New York and Toronto are going to be fighting it out. And I, I would be surprised if you see, uh, again, three, three teams from the same division uh, make the postseason. I'd be surprised. Uh, that being said, uh, the other divisions like the the Central, the Chicago White Sox will probably walk away with that, um, and maybe the Astros in the West. Uh, so it could be that three teams get in, depending on how many teams make the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, are they a playoff team? Yes, um, but they've got a lot of things will have to go right for them, um, and they will have to make some kind of pitching move uh, midseason. If they're to get over that hump and go from just fighting for a playoff team to becoming a legitimate World Series contender, what, what do you think the missing piece is? Or do you think it's just 
these are young kids and they probably need another season or two before their window to compete really opens or are they just a piece or two away yeah i think they would they would argue they're a piece or two away uh you know there's you can't discount the value of um bobichette kevin biggio and vlad jr being a year older uh you know that that's that's another natural progression there that improves their their chances um they've done a lot in improving their overall team adding george springer and marcus simeon um and so the offense you know is is solid one of the best in baseball uh but that pitching staff if they're going to make a make the playoffs and make a, a run a serious run in the playoffs they're going to need at least one more uh top front of the line starting starting pitcher uh they're going to need um, bullpen reinforcements by the end of july you you know that's going to happen um so they're 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 in the playoffs what's going to put them over the hump is at least one more pitcher and maybe um, a couple of other arms just in case heading into the trade deadline then is there any potential targets for some of those bottom feeding teams that are looking to just acquire assets and sell off some of their veteran pieces. Is there any name that's been floating out there that's been intriguing to you that you would think would be a really good addition to the Blue Jays if the price is right and all that and they're able to acquire them at the deadline? Yeah, well, I think that I think, you you know, the, the price being right is the first uh, the first point that the Blue Jays are going to have to get over. Um, I have a piece coming out tomorrow uh, on Jays from the Couch about whether or not the Blue Jays will actually um, go big during the uh, the trade deadline, you know, I don't I don't know that they're going to pull off a an Alex Anthopoulos esque trade deadline. I, I feel like they've worked so hard to build up their farm system. I don't know that they'll easily um, give it away, even for a top starting pitcher. Um, so you look around baseball, you know, there are a lot of guys who look to be free agents next off season. Um, but they're older guys, guys like Zach Greinke, um, you know, late thirties kind of pitchers on the downside of their career. Potentially there's something there, but the problem is, is they're also playing on teams right now uh, that could be playoff teams. So then you start looking at the teams that are definitely not going to be playoff teams. And one team in particular, uh, the Colorado Rockies comes to mind with, um, with Herman Marquez, uh, he would be a nice addition to this Blue Jays rotation. Uh, he, I, th- I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's got one more year plus a team option. So, you know, two more years of, of uh, team control, that might be something that interests the Blue Jays. But again, will they pay whatever Colorado is looking for? Um, another team like Cincinnati has Sonny Gray, um, who is a is 33, I believe, and he'll he um, he'll cost less than their other starting pitcher in Luis Castillo who will cost a fortune before we let you guys go here we're just going to do a real quick game of over under so we're going to give you five items you pick the over the under we'll see what your thoughts are for this upcoming season first one up here over or under 89 and a half wins for the Jays this year oh man uh, I just did this for my website and I set it at 87. So if you had done that, that would have been a little easier. Uh, I'm going to say 89 and a half. I'm going to say slightly over, but not by much. Okay. So they're they going to maybe a 90 win team. Yeah. Maybe it'll be a fence scraper, but they'll get there then. Eh? Right. <laughs> All right. So over under 29 and a half home runs for Vladdy jr. Over. 
he's looked so good this off or this spring. Um, and he hits the ball so hard. I've, I'm going definitely over. Okay. Slim down Vladdy hitting the 30 home run plateau this year. I like it. Over or under 13 and a half wins for Ryu? Hmm, over. I'm going to take the over because this offense is that much better. Their defense is going to be that much better this, um, this season. So I think he'll get a couple more wins than uh, he certainly did last year, obviously, given that he'll pitch twice as much. But Love it. Run of overs here. No one likes taking the under anymore. you got to be an optimist, right? <laughs> over or under 15 and a half saves for any Blue Jays reliever this year. Again, I'm going with the over. Uh, Jordan Romano is projected at 18 saves, and I think that may be uh, stingy. So, um, you know, the only thing will be whether or not they go with one guy as the closer or they kind of do the committee thing, which has, you know, killed my fantasy teams over the last season or two. Uh, so that, that'll be the question mark, but I'll still take the over. All right, and last one here. Over or under 99 and a half runs for Springer? Uh, 99 and a half. I'm going to take the – oh, man, you got me there. Runs? I'm going to – you know what? I'll take the over. There um, you go. <laughs> it's the century. Yeah, I, I've got to. This offense is just too good. They'll hit him first or second, and he'll he'll score a ton of runs. Amazing. Five overs. What eternal optimist in Blue Jays Nation over there for you. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, where can people find you if they want to tune in and either read any of your articles or connect with you guys on social media? What's the best places to find you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, You can head to jaysfromthecouch.com. We've got our, our, we're ramping up our season coverage there. Uh, it'll be great to finally write about baseball again. Uh, so jaysfromthecouch.com. You can follow us on Twitter at jaysfromcouch. We're on Instagram and uh, you can follow our YouTube channel as well, jaysfromthecouch. We live stream our podcast every week as well. We've got uh, two separate shows, um, one called The On Feck Circle with Steve Feck. He uh, has an old school off the wall kind of approach to Blue Jays baseball and uh, the sunny side of the dome uh, hosted by Karen Sutar, who combines logic and um, positivity like nobody I've ever seen. Uh, So lots of, you know, content on our, um, our YouTube channel. And of course you can follow me, uh, Sean Doyle on Twitter at Doyle JFTC. Beautiful. Love it. Well, like you said, it's exciting to finally get some uh, real meaningful baseball in a full season, not that condensed little 60 game pre-dinner snack that we got last year and see how the uh, Jays do over the course of a full 162 games. So looking forward to it. Best of luck and enjoy opening day in a couple days. Thanks very much, Kyle. Thanks for having me. And that'll do it for another episode of the Dine Sports Podcast on the Dine Sports Podcast Network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to both our guests today, Keegan and Sean, for sitting down with us and providing some in-depth analysis on what's sure to be an exciting season for a young Blue Jays team that fans got a little taste of last year and will be very interesting to see how they fare over a full MLB schedule. So their window of competition seems to be just creaking open there and hopefully they'll be making some deep playoff runs for years to come. As always, if you like what you heard, like, comment, share, subscribe, leave us a little review. We appreciate it. No matter what platform you're listening on, that all helps towards that 
crazy algorithm that promotes it to other podcast listeners and keep growing this community that we've been uh, developing over the past 70 episodes. So huge thank you for tuning in again today. If you're a golfer or you just like supporting charities and making sure that the work that these amazing organizations do in the community doesn't go unrecognized and underfunded, uh, head over to the Dine Sports website and you can get involved in the charity golf tournament. Till next time, we've got some great guests lined up for you guys later on. Stay safe and we'll see you in a bit.